everybody. I'm John. I get to serve as the executive pastor here at Peace Church. It's my privilege to get to bring God's word to you this morning. So if you've got a Bible, would you open with me to Psalm 32? Psalm 32. If you're also following along with us in the prayer playbook that we're using for this series, uh, this, uh, this is called Sermon Number 2 or Week Number 2 uh, on Confession. And uh, you might notice that the text in there is James 5. During the course of this week, had to just felt Psalm 32 kind of taken over this message, so made that the main text. But that's your page to take notes on, follow along. Anybody experienced the snow this morning? Oh, I said that, the S word, I'm sorry. The, the white stuff that comes out of the sky? We have hope in Jesus that one day we'll be in eternal life and there probably won't be snow in eternal life. <laughs> Woo! That's right. There may be. That's true. Some of you are not so sure. That's why I said the word probably. We don't know for sure. Well, hey, we've been walking through our series, Offensive Prayer. And uh, this week, as I, as I got to study Psalm 32 and prepare to, to talk this morning, um, one of the things that I reflected on is just how simple prayer is. On the one hand, you know, in preparation for uh, a message, I, you know, you want to think about what is the uh, new and profound truth that God's revealing that we want to hear. And I just kept being compelled this week about the simplicity of prayer, that God has made prayer one of those things that is so simple that the smallest child can do it, and yet so deep and rich that you can spend your whole life walking with the Lord in prayer and be always learning and growing. And I was really compelled by that this week in preparation. So I'm excited to get to share the word with you all this morning. Let's take a look at Psalm 32. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, then we'll dig into it. Here we go, Psalm 32. I'm going to read the first six verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for... Your word, pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to receive it. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as a broken instrument to bring your word to your people. God, I pray that you would help us to see the truth that you have for us this morning. I pray that you'd help us to learn and grow in prayer. God, I pray that we would be challenged, convicted, and encouraged. I pray that you would be glorified by your people this morning. We love you. Pray this all in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, I get to uh, I get the privilege this morning to talk about probably the least uh, favorite topic in our prayer series. Uh, maybe you all noticed that uh, last week we we set out a several topics to talk about in this prayer series: uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So, you know, last week we talked about praising God and worshiping Him for who He is. Next time we're going to talk about thanksgiving and thanking Him. Then we're going to talk about making requests to God, praying for Him to do stuff in our lives. But this morning. Haha, ha, this morning, we're going to talk about confession. Woo! Y'all are excited, right? 
Well, hey, I hope this morning that you're going to see that this is not one of those uh, parts of prayer or parts of Scripture that we simply should plug our nose and try to get through. But this is actually an amazing gift from God that he gives us, a way that we get to interact with him in prayer. So uh, I'm excited for us to talk about confession, owning up to our sin. Um, and uh, I want to see how God can use this in our lives to transform us. So I want to start with just a question. Um, how many of you have ever felt guilty before? Ever felt guilty for something you did? Now, uh, let me just point out that if you are sitting next to somebody that didn't raise their hand, they are probably a sociopath <laughs> because it means that they have done some bad things, but they don't feel bad about them, right? Romans 3 says that all have sinned. So all of us in the room, we've done some bad stuff, but some of us apparently don't feel guilty about it. So I would maybe keep one eye open throughout the service if... And if you live with that person, maybe sleep with one eye open or something. I don't know. Watch out. Let me, I just want to be fair to people. Let's just give them another chance. Uh, how many of you have ever felt guilty for something? <laughs> hey, there it is. That's like a lesson in group participation right there. I better write that down or something. Yeah, one of the universal human experiences is guilt. I think from the very beginning of time, people have asked the question, what do I do with guilt? How do I absolve myself when I've done something wrong? What do I do to get rid of this terrible feeling that I have? How do I get right? How do I feel better? Well, today we're going to talk about that universal experience of guilt and what the Bible tells us to do with it. And we're going to do so looking at Psalm 32. So if you would, let's, uh, let's look at that and let's look at it in three points. The first of those points is this. You can't deal with guilt on your own. You can't deal with guilt on your own. Look with me at, the, at uh, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So the psalmist says that when I kept silent, when I didn't confess or talk about my sin, when I tried to pretend like it's not happening, my bones wasted away. I experienced pain. Most of, uh, throughout most of human history, it's been a pretty universal answer to the problem of guilt. What do we do with guilt? Ancient people going all the way back to the Greeks, the Romans, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the Jews, um, all had this one way of dealing with guilt, and that was through sacrifice, right? Maybe you're familiar with this sort of imagery, the idea of taking an animal, and we're going to say that uh, I'm going to put my guilt on this animal. Uh, I've, I've done something bad. I've offended the God or gods, and I've got to do something to get rid of that. So I'm going to put my guilt on this animal. The animal's going to take the punishment, and therefore me and the God or gods are now good. We've, we've restored our relationship. That for thousands of years was pretty much the universal answer to how to deal with guilt. And actually, interestingly, I found some articles that, uh, did you know that animal sacrifice in parts of the world is still very popular today? You could read uh, an article like this one. Why do you need an animal sacrifice penetrating your subconscious? Very interesting. So you can uh, check that out uh, if you want to look into people's answers of how we can use animal sacrifice to absolve our guilt today. But more recently, I would say most modern human beings have turned to a little bit different answer. We've said this idea that we could be guilty before God, before a higher power. That's just, that's just silly stuff. That's just ancient. That's just old. There's a different answer to the problem of guilt. And it's this. Forgiveness is the gift you give yourself, says the modern wise person. Right? 
Uh, forgive yourself. That's the hardest thing to do in life, and that's the thing that we need to do. Now, I don't want to make too much fun of that because there's some, there's some elements of that that might have some truth in them, but I think it loses the overall most important concept of what forgiveness is. Right? Forgiveness has to do with a relationship between one person and another person, another human being or God, and saying something has gone wrong in order to break that relationship and now forgiveness needs to happen in order to restore that relationship, which means it's not something you can do all by yourself. Right? You can't deal with your guilt on your own all by yourself. How is this working, by the way? If you've, if you've, uh, if, if you've witnessed this sort of approach to dealing with guilt, how do you think that this is working in our day and age? I think if you look at research about the mental health of our world, of our country, you will know that this isn't really actually working out that well. Anxiety, depression are way up. One in 10 American adults experiences clinical depression. The number of teenagers and young adults is much higher and on the rise. I think looking at a survey of mental health and people in the world today would tell us that this approach of simply trying to forgive ourselves, absolve ourselves of our own guilt is not actually working out. In fact, I think we look a lot like what the psalmist describes. When I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, when I tried to deal with it myself or hide it or put it away, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When we hold on to our sin, when we hide it, when we try to put it away and don't talk about it, it causes pain. Unresolved guilt causes pain. Now, I think it might be easy to think I'm only talking to people who aren't yet Christians, who haven't received forgiveness through Jesus, who haven't put their faith in Jesus, but actually this is a problem also for Christians. I think of many parts of the Bible that speak to believers dealing with this issue. I think of Romans chapter 7. The apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? He's wrestling with his own sin in his life. I think of Psalm 51, King David, man after God's own heart. He says, my sin is ever before me. He knows that he's got sin and guilt in his life that needs to be dealt with. He needs a way to deal with his guilt and his sin before God. The prophet Isaiah has a very proper response, I think, to his own sin standing before the Holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet comes into the throne room of God and he says, Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. He has a proper sense that before God he has guilt and something has to happen between him and God in order for that problem to be dealt with. Now you and I know, and we're going to talk about in a few moments, the good news of the cross of Jesus that deals with that sin. But right now, before we get there, I think we first need to ask another question. What sin are you holding on to? What burden are you carrying? What is the thing that you are holding back from the Lord? Where you're saying, Lord, you can have all my life up to this point. What is the part of your life that you have walled off and said, I'm going to talk about this part of my life on Sundays. I'll talk about this part of my life on Wednesday Bible studies. Uh, I'll confess this part and talk about these parts. But this thing over here, I'm going to hold that to myself. I'm going to say that my hands are open before the Lord, but actually one of them is closed and behind my back. What is the thing that you are not confessing before the Lord? 
you can't deal with guilt on your own. As we continue to talk this morning, I want you to consider in your own mind what is the sin that you are holding back from the Lord this morning. And the reason I want you to consider that question this morning is because of this. Because confession brings freedom. Confession brings freedom from that thing that we are carrying. Take a look with me at verse 5 of our text this morning. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. On the one hand, it's true that God could have simply said to us, confess your sin, I said it, you do it, end of story. Right? The Bible would be a lot shorter book if that's all God said, wouldn't it? If God just said, hey, here's what you do, I said it, you do it, end of story. I'm not going to give you any reasons, I'm not going to give you any stories. Sermons on Sunday morning would probably be a whole lot shorter if that's all God said, right? Just you go do it, this is what God says, no more to it. But God, in his mercy and grace, gives us so much more. What he tells us is that there's a reason he calls us to confession. It's for our good. It brings us freedom. Uh, we have four kids in my house, uh, seven, six, three, and two, and they get a little noisy in the car. And so we, uh, we have a strategy for dealing with that, and it's called Adventures in Odyssey. You can buy them on these little things called cassette tapes. Uh, or No, actually, somebody told me in between services, I thought you could only get these on disc. Apparently, there's actually a cloud subscription you can get to get Adventures in Odyssey. That's pretty cool. So uh, Adventures in Odyssey, great stuff. So my family was listening to some Adventures in Odyssey, and some time ago, I remembered a story uh, that relates to this, that there was a, there was a man, and, and the story catches up to him in his later years of his life, and he's reflecting on a lifetime of guilt. He remembers that when he was a little boy, he was playing with his father's gun and it was loaded and it went off and somebody died. And nobody knew that it was him who had done this. Nobody knew that he was the the little boy who had had this accident. And so throughout the entire life of this man, he carries around this thing that only he knows. He actually goes on to become a doctor thinking, if I become a doctor and I help people and I save people, I can make up for what I did wrong. I can make up for the life that was lost by saving other people's lives. He falls in love. He gets engaged. And at the last minute, he pulls the plug because he says, I have too much guilt in my life. I can't have this. I can't be married or be in love. We find out that back when he was a little boy, he actually took the weapon and a note confessing, and he buried it in the yard outside. And when we catch up to him as an old man, we find out that he's lived his entire life, on the one hand, dreading and being deathly afraid that someone will discover him, and at the same time, hoping and longing for somebody to find out what he's done so that he doesn't have to carry that secret anymore. Confession brings freedom. I think also of the story of Joseph's brothers in the book of Genesis. You remember Joseph, his brothers uh, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. His brothers tell dad that he was slaughtered by an animal. They go through their whole lives. They get married. They have kids. They do all kinds of things all these years, carrying the guilt of what they did to their brother. 
Not sure what's going on with him, if he died, if he's still a slave in Egypt. And at the end of the story in Genesis 48 through 50, those last few chapters, you remember they come to Joseph, find out Joseph was alive the whole time, that he'd come to power in Egypt. And when they finally stand before Joseph and realize this, you can sort of imagine the mix of emotions that they have. On the one hand, excited, I think, that their brother is still alive and doing well. Terrified, on another hand, right? Remembering that he knows their guilt and what they've done wrong. But I think also in those last chapters of Genesis, when Joseph forgives his brothers, there is so much relief in that what they had done has finally come to light and they can receive forgiveness because their sin is known. Confession brings freedom. I think this is what the psalmist is trying to tell us also in the first two verses of the psalm. Listen to Psalm 32, the first couple of verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed. Right relationship with God, the blessing of God, joy in the Lord belongs to the one who has received forgiveness. And how does forgiveness come? It comes through confession. I think of a New Testament passage, 1 John 1, 9. We just talked about this passage about two weeks ago. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what makes the Christian story and the Christian gospel different than any other story in the history of humanity. It's what makes us different than the ancient sacrifices that happened with the pagans. It's what makes us different from those who try to absolve their own guilt. We believe that God sent his own son into the world. He lived a life of perfect righteousness that you and I haven't lived. He died the death for sin that you and I deserve to die. And he rose to new life so we can put our faith in him and have new life forever. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is how forgiveness happens. But in order to receive that, you and I have to first admit that we need it. We have to admit that we have a problem, that we have sin, that we have guilt, and that we need God's forgiveness. I sort of imagine that as you're listening this morning, uh, this question might be in your mind. It was in my mind this week as I thought about uh, preaching this text. Why do we have to confess sin if Jesus already died for our sin? You may be thinking that in the back of your mind, thinking there's got to be a way out of this, right? Uh, Jesus already died for my sin. I can't possibly have to also own it, say it out loud, name it, confess that I've done it. Let me paint kind of a picture for you. Here's, I think, the way to think about this. On the cross, Jesus purchased our forgiveness, but in life when we confess, we get to experience forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus purchased our forgiveness, and the way that we experience forgiveness comes through confession, which he calls us to do. Um, thought, about, uh, thought about my kids and uh, how this might translate for them. Uh, on my kids' birthday, we get them a birthday cake. 
And I sort of imagine taking one of my daughters to uh, Meyer and picking out a nice fancy birthday cake. And we go in together as we've done before. And she gets to pick which one she wants. And she picks a bright, beautiful, pretty pink birthday cake for her birthday. And we purchase it. I put the money across the counter. I get the cake. Right? We go out to the car. I say, sweetheart, we've purchased for you a birthday cake. And she's able to say, that's awesome. I have a birthday cake. It belongs to me. It's got my name on it. I got a birthday cake. Done, right? Maybe not so much. What else does she want to do? She wants to eat it. She wants to go home and experience it. It's true that it's already hers. She's got the birthday cake. We did that thing. But it hasn't been fully enjoyed until she takes it home and eats it and experiences it. I think that's kind of like us in the Christian life. On the one hand, Jesus purchased our forgiveness on the cross. On the other hand, we don't get to fully enjoy and experience it until we sit before him, name our sins, and receive the truth of God's forgiveness for us. It's how we not just know that forgiveness is coming one day in the future, but that we live a forgiven life right now. So with all that being said, I want to spend uh, the last bit of our time here together talking about very practically how. How do we confess? How do we go before God and confess our sins? And as we do so, as we walk through these three steps, I want to encourage you just to think in your own mind about your own life and about some of the sin in your life and about how you can go before the Lord and confess it. Because in just a few minutes, we're actually going to uh, take some time. I know this sounds terrifying. Don't worry. It's going to be great. Uh, we're going to take some time for you to get to have a chance to confess some sin before the Lord. So I want you to just encourage you to just be thinking about some sin in your life as we talk about these three components to confession. Here they are. Awareness, admission, and the ask. Awareness, admission, and the ask. Number one, awareness. Right? If you're going to confess sin, you have to be aware that you have sin. Right? Jesus and his ministry on the earth spent uh, a fair amount of time sharing with people the law and helping them understand that they have sin in their lives. Right? You remember Jesus saying, you've heard that it was written, uh, do not commit adultery. I tell you the truth, if you've ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed uh, adultery in your heart. He says, uh, I tell you the truth, not only have you heard it written that uh, to kill someone, that, that murder is sin, you've also heard that to hate someone in your heart is the same thing as murder. I think of some of the other commands of God, and I think of how some of our confessions handle them. I think of uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain, and some of us think, sweet, I, I, don't, I don't use my language that way, I'm good. And some of our Christian writings and confessions tell us that actually any time that we bear the name Christian and yet do something against God's will, we're actually taking his name and taking it in vain. And we go, shoot, I thought I had one, right? We become aware by reading God's word that we actually are are very sinful, that we fall short of God's perfect law day in and day out. So we need an awareness of our sin in order to go into confession. Number two, we need to admit our sin. Name it. Now this is actually, I think, a lot harder than it sounds. Like some of you think, well, duh, this is, this is the easy part, right? I just got to like name it. Um, if you've ever been in a prayer meeting where you've tried this, Maybe you've seen that this is actually really hard. I've, I've gotten uh, the privilege to lead many prayer meetings, and uh, we've walked through this same process that we're doing in this series, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And when we get to the confession part, you know, I hear people say, they say, Lord, help me not to lie. Lord, help me to not be so prideful. 
And I said, you, said, you have to say, hang on, wait a minute. That's not the same thing. What, you want, what we want to do, right, is say, well, I don't want to talk about the past. I don't want to talk about when I screwed up. I just want to talk about the future. So I want to just say, Lord, help me to do better in the future. We're not going to talk about what I did before, but we're just going to talk about, Lord, help me to do better in the future. But actually admitting our sin is where we say, Lord, I confess that I have lied. Lord, I confess that I have been prideful. Admitting, naming, owning the sin that we have in our life is an important part of confession. The third piece, the ask. So we say, Lord, please forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me. And if you listen as we, as we pray often here before the sermon, during our worship services at peace, you often hear us say something along these lines of, Lord, we confess that we're sinners. Please forgive us for our sin. And often one of us will say right afterwards, and Lord, even as we ask, we know that through Jesus, we already have that forgiveness that we're asking for. That's where we get to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and taste and experience it. So, Having heard those three steps, I want to encourage and challenge all of us to take a, take a step of faith here, take a step out of our comfort zones as we knew that we would do throughout this series, and we're actually going to take some time to pray before the Lord and confess our sins. And so I want to give you a, a couple of options. Um, if this is uh, brand new to you, if this is not something you've done before, if you're not feeling super comfortable, that's okay. I want to, I want to give you some steps. So uh, if you would, it'd be awesome if you'd be willing to turn to the people around you and get to pray together. Uh, if you're not up for that yet, that's okay. But if you are able, I'd love for you to be able to turn to the people around you and pray together. And I just want to give you a very simple prayer that you can pray. Here's the prayer that I would encourage you to pray. Lord, I confess that I have sinned. Please forgive me. It can be as simple as that. Lord, I confess that I have sinned. Please forgive me. If you're open to it, you're welcome to name a sin that you've committed this week. Share with the others what, uh, what's going on in your life. Whether that's a lie or pride or something else going on in your life. If you're not up for that again, Lord, I confess that I have sinned. Please forgive me. It can be as simple as that. Or if you're willing, feel free to share with those around you. And finally, also, if you want to, you're welcome to also make your way to the prayer room after the service. Volunteers will be in there to pray with you. But if you want to, you're also welcome to make your way to the prayer room and just pray your prayers of confession before the Lord there. Does that sound good? I know there's a step of faith, a step out of our comfort zone, but I want to encourage you to take it. Let's go before God as his people, confess our sins, and receive the forgiveness that he offers.
As you wrap up, I just want to pray and read a piece of scripture over you. Let me, let me just read Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. At Peace Church, we want to see revival in people's hearts. And that will only happen if we are confessing our sin before the Lord. If we want to see real transformation in us as individuals and in our church and in our community, then we have to be willing to go before the Lord and confess our sin. That is when revival happens. I want to leave you with one more verse. I want to speak this over you and then pray for you. Would you please stand with me? I want to give you one more verse and then we'll pray. Hear this word from the Lord. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that ran down that cross and took away our sin and our guilt. God, we confess before you that we are sinners. Please forgive us. And even as we ask, we know that we are forgiven through Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness you give us. We love you. Amen.